0: You're listening to Motherhood Stress, the podcast that talks all about the realities of being a mom in today's world, but also gives you practical takeaways for making the ride as fun and stress-free as possible. The way we live life is an art. I'm here to remind you of the power you already have to create a truly beautiful life. And if you like what you hear, if it resonates with you, please don't hesitate to leave a five-star review. This helps us get the message out to more and more women and help more and more moms. Thanks. In this episode of Motherhood Unstressed, I speak with Dr. Kate Thomas. She's a U.S. Marine veteran, a speaker, an author, and university professor. She focuses her research on evidence-based mental fitness and peak performance training and is the author of two books, Brave Strong True, The Modern Warrior's Battle for Balance, and the latest, Bulletproofing the Psyche. In this episode, Kate reveals what we can do right now to make our brains more resilient to stress and help us function at peak levels of performance in our daily lives. You can connect with Kate at drthomas.com or on Instagram at TheDrKate. Hello, everybody. Uh, I am here today with Dr. Kate Hendricks-Thomas, and she is such an amazing guest to have on the show because she does her research on, on the brain and resiliency and stress, which I think is so quintessential to what you know, this podcast is about and what you know, I'm about is finding ways to reduce our stress in this world you know, while raising kids, while working, while doing everything that we need to do in our day-to-day lives. Um, and so welcome, Kate. I'm so glad that, that you're here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to chat.
0: So, why don't you get us started with kind of going in a little bit about your background. Um, You know, where did you go to school, what your work um, history, and and how did you end up in this particular field?
1: Well, I really wish I could say I had a carefully crafted life plan, but it was a series of happy accidents that brought me to my current research on somatic practice and how body-based work can improve human performance. I... Uh, Went to college in Virginia and I joined the Marine Corps right out of college and I spent a few years traveling the world um, as a Marine Corps military police officer. I loved it. But it was a very intense lifestyle. If you had asked me at the time if I was practicing health, I would have told you absolutely. I was one of the most unbalanced people you would ever meet, however. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, physical activity was run until you vomit. Um, Stress injuries were things that weak people got. And I really didn't practice a lot of self-awareness. I was very good at compartmentalization because what was most important and what was just the most important thing in the world was mission accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Um, Look good, smell good, get the job done was kind of my mentality. And it wasn't until I got out of the Marine Corps, I started struggling finding a civilian identity for myself that I learned a little bit about what wellness means from a balanced perspective. And I started, because I tend towards the, the nerdy and academic, I started studying this and started looking at okay, what does stress and what does unresolved conflict and what does a lack of resilience look like in an individual's life? Well, it looked like my day-to-day existence. So that kept me interested. And I started looking at how do you change this? How can you get yourself to a place of balanced, whole wellness? Today, what I'm most passionate about is not the recovery work that i originally started looking at but really the prevention work really the notion that you can promote well-being and promote mental health and promote resilience well before you ever face a stress stimuli and that's kind of what i'm interested in focusing on uh, in my work today.
0: Well i find that that often happens you know like we we seek out the healing that we need in that moment and you know I know personally for me, i like, I, that's why I got into meditation was because I needed something grounding because I was way up in the air. I was out of my body and I was struggling and I was like, I need to find something. I think a lot of women, you know, especially in today's modern world have that feeling because so much is throwing at us. So that's interesting that, you know, originally you sought, you know, recovery type healing and now you're doing prevention and where you are in your life now. So, so what are some, some things that you found in your research to be able to prevent, you know, stress injury from happening? Well,
1: I was trying to deal with stress in my personal life the way that I'd always dealt with it. And the way that I'd always dealt with it was freak, overly frequent, overly intense exercise. And one day I was in the weight room and I did something stupid and I hurt myself And I found myself on this physical therapist table. uh, And the physical therapist, and this is the important part of the story, he had a really great Scottish accent. (laughs) And he told me, okay, you're not going to be able to run and lift for a little while, sweetheart. You need to try something new. And it sounded better when he said it. And I said, what do you mean, something new? And uh, he sent me to a yoga studio. And because I always thought yoga was for elderly people, uh, not something that I did. I didn't want to go, but the Scottish accent convinced me. And uh, I started learning about this whole world of somatic practice. And Somatic just means body-based. And what I what I research now is this notion that we can regulate our own nervous system through very specific practices. Now you talk about meditation working for you. Yoga and movement meditation works for me. I've got friends who tell me swimming or flying or it's very bio-individual. What regulates your nervous system, what takes you from ambulatory and overly alert down into what we call theta state. Uh, but once you find that practice that regularly brings you there, you give yourself space for rest and restorva- restoration of your actual brain. And there's some really great implications for that, uh, whether you're talking about interacting with your partner or being a really polished professional, or you're talking about parenting and, and managing the young crazies that we call our children.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I mean, it's crazy that no one teaches you this because it's it's just key for survival, I mean, if you don't ever de-escalate, I feel like you're on the verge of a nervous breakdown all the time, you know, and maybe that's an exaggeration, but, you know, sometimes it can be so crazy with all the demands put on us by work and life and getting here and going there, like to not ever find that place of peace, I think is, is probably more common than people realize, um, and, and considered normal, but it's, it's a travesty. I mean, it's, it needs to be addressed. And that's why I'm so glad we're talking about this because it really does put it out there that, you know, no, that's not a normal state to be in. That's not a healthy state to be in. You know, we right. need to come back into ourselves and take the time and space so that we can reset. And it's not just going to bed and sleeping. Like it's, it's like you said, like being awake and aware, but not, I guess, not stressed and, and in the moment in life. Like you're actually just taking time. Well, and I think that
1: along those lines, what we're talking about is a very intentional reframing of slow practices. So for me, for a long, long time, if something was fast, if something was hard, if something was difficult, I considered it valuable. So something that was still and intentional and mental, I considered that expendable and disposable. But Mm -hmm. what if somebody had taught me that mental fitness training and regularly taking my brain down to theta state was going to make me smarter, stronger, faster, a better communicator? What if I had framed that as a skills-building practice? Then- I would have spent the time on it. And and we really, you know, I'm passionate about this in the military because we're talking about a cohort of people that are going to face critical stress, law enforcement, emergency medical. These are people who definitely will face critical stress and we need to be doing mental fitness training for this population. But you're right, everybody needs it. Any mother, any parent, any uh, professional in the modern workplace that's all about the constant the constant. uh, connectivity and stimuli, everybody needs this. But I think we have to look at these practices less as woo-woo things that uh, elderly hippies do and look (laughs) at them as things that intelligent uh, people interested in peak performance, in performance enhancement do. Because I think if I had flipped the paradigm a long time ago, I would have been able to weather stress very, very differently when it mattered.
0: Yeah, that's so important. I mean, it's, it's just something that I think people need to be aware of. And then once you're aware of it, you can start incorporating it and feel the difference immediately. I mean, I, I was listening to a lecture the other day from a medical doctor, and she said, you know, it's just, it's just the same as if you were holding a dumbbell in your arm and doing um, curls. You know, when you are in a, a seated meditation or doing something that invokes theta state and your thoughts start to wander and you bring them back, It's the same action, you know, as bringing up that dumbbell. You are strengthening different connections in your brain. You are strengthening that prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. which actually shuts down the fight or flight uh, response and the amygdala or however you say it. Amygdala, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Amygdala. Um, And so I just thought that was so fascinating. And then to hear you, you know, reiterate that is just, it's such a confirmation. And it's like, yes, like, and I think once you start doing these 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 types of practices that do restore the brain like you feel it you feel it day 1 i mean i remember when i first sat down in meditation and it was like holy cow like i am not letting this go like this is powerful well and i think
1: uh when i talk about these practices i usually call it bulletproofing the psyche or mental fitness training for the reasons you just outlined because it's the exact same thing as running a 5k, as lifting weights, as training your body for physical performance. These are, this is work. This is hard. This is valuable. It is training. Um, So I think how we talk about it is really important uh, to get people to be open minded to trying something out. Because if you say, yoga, meditation, mm-hmm. um, mindfulness, wellness, it just connotes a, a, an alien practice that a lot of people are able to dismiss. And I know that that's true because I was one of those people for over a decade. I dismissed it outright because I thought it was something, uh, weak people that needed that nonsense practiced. And I know the truth to be very, very different today.
0: Well, and I think too, I mean, you were in a very masculine dominated world being in the Marine Corps and, you know, yoga, everyone thinks of like women in yoga pants and meditation is very like, you know, you're a monk in a cave and it it does have a lot of feminine energy to it. And I think for a lot of people that that's maybe not attractive because you're right. Like you said, it's not tough. It's not manly. Like I'm going to go to the gym instead, but it's, 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 it is so important to have that balance of feminine and masculine energy and, and. And I think what we all desire in life, what I desire in life is to be the best that I can be. And so when you, you incorporate good nutrition and mental fitness training, and you do work out and exercise, of course, and you build your relationships, you start to really create the life that I think we were all born here to create, which is a beautiful life and a happy existence. And when everything's flowing and in balance, you know, you can do anything, you know, you feel, you feel so powerful. So,
1: well, and that's what's neat about the science behind what I do now is that you can, what you just described, you can actually see over time on a functional MRI. You can watch somebody's working memory capacity in the prefrontal cortex. You can watch that portion of somebody's brain get bigger. The synaptic firing get faster as somebody embraces these mental fitness training practices. And what happens in that part of the brain is your upper level cognition. So everything intelligent and high level that you do, and it's also your communication and connectivity and emotional reactivity. So interacting With other problematic humans, right? (laughs) So everything that matters to, to performing optimally in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces can be improved by increasing your working memory capacity. So that's what you're saying. When you feel the power, when you feel the strength, when you feel things start to get in flow and balance, when you create a beautiful life, it's because you're changing your brain through very specific practices. It's one of the most intelligent things someone can do for themselves. And I think we have to, there's a certain segment of the population that is going to want to hear that is going to want to hear the neuroscience that is going to want to hear the, the challenge that is a bulletproofing, the psyche training regimen. And I was one of those people I needed to hear that it was hard to do and that it was worth doing.
0: Wow. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Like you actually have written a book. Um, it's out now called bulletproofing the psyche and who is it exactly for?
1: So Bulletproofing the Psyche is available for pre-order and it is about how somebody can become more resilient and it's broken down to focus on the nervous system regulation that you and I have just been talking about. And it takes kind of a deep dive into the science of that. But it also focuses on cultivating social support, which is really the bedrock of any healthy practice. You have to have the right positive influences in your life. You have to make some very hard and careful decisions about influences that aren't bringing good things and good health practices into your life. Um, There's also a focus on spiritual practice. And when you're talking about it from a secular perspective, you may be talking about transcendence, that top level of the Maslow hierarchy, that search for meaning outside of self. From a religious perspective, you're talking about faith and connection connection to God. And so what we did was break down the latest research in these areas so folks can walk away with an understanding of how to become more resilient Um, you know, evidence-based practices for becoming more resilient. And then we also had some contributors share stories, their own journeys, because I learn a lot from hearing or watching other people. Mm -hmm. And so we had people share their stories of starting a mental fitness training practice and just how did that work for you? What did that change? And we, we have some really, really wonderful narratives in the book. I'm excited about it.
0: Would you mind telling us one that really struck you? Um, One that
1: really struck me was written by a nonprofit executive director named Ben King. And he he was an army soldier, came back from Iraq with a pretty active stress injury. And he happened to be dating a woman that he later married that recognized that he needed to deescalate his nervous system. And she would do different things to try to get him to theta state, like make him a warm bath or bring him to a yoga class. Eventually, he went to some mindfulness meditation classes and the practice just clicked for him. He liked it. And Mm -hmm. he eventually started this nonprofit that's about creating mindfulness opportunities for military veterans that are like him, um, that had no idea. He was a fitness guy, he had no idea what what nervous system de escalation was?
0: Right, and nobody does. Nobody it. does. Yeah, he got
1: introduced to it through somebody he trusted, and it changed his life. And it actually changed what he does with his life. You know, now he runs this nonprofit. So it was cool to share stories like that.
0: That's amazing, and I really do find like when people heal themselves when they hear the heal their own lives they want to help others do the same. I mean, that's, that's kind of the basis of this podcast and all the blogging that I've been doing is because I kind of pulled myself out of that postpartum, you know, muck and, and was like, wow, okay, it's possible to pull yourself out and it's possible to get even better. So to hear stories like that and and what you're doing, I mean, you're doing essentially the same thing. I feel like, you know, you, you've dealt with, you know, your, your time in the military and the time after with a little confusion and, and you, you did the research. I mean, that's amazing. And and I'm so thankful for the work that you do. And, and I'm sure there's hundreds and thousands of other people who've read your work and who are benefiting from it. So thank you.
1: Well, you know, it's, it's the most flattering thing that anybody can say, You is that they read something you wrote, whether it's a blog or a book, or you know, I imagine, I imagine it probably feels that way when somebody says they listened to your podcast and it helped them. Um, there's nothing healthier than feeling like you made a difference for other people.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so you're doing that. So have you taken, you know, the the research heavy research-based stuff, and and I mean, obviously you're doing it in your own life, but have you tried Teaching it to your son now. You have one son. Um, has he has he been open to that? I know he's only three.
1: So Matthew is three and a half. He's a whirling dervish of energy, but I do try to insert um, mindfulness and it's it's all moving meditation type, type stuff for him right now wow. because he is very interested when I'm doing yoga. He wants to interrupt it. He wants to jump on me. He wants to try doing it. We take turns doing different poses. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to introduce him to those practices as something normal that people do in their living rooms. Um, I want him to see that as... As a normal modality, something that he can try and pick up, uh, because as you said, for, especially for little boys, uh, you know they can kind of grow up thinking meditation and yoga and mind body practice is something women do. Right? And that is just incredibly problematic because I want my son to have powerful communication and empathy skills. I want my son to be able to be the smartest version of himself possible. I mean, he's going to Dartmouth. We've already decided. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So because I want the best for him, I will absolutely be at age appropriate levels, offering him mastery experience opportunities when it comes to somatic well-being practices. Now, can I ever talk my husband into it? I got him to one yoga class. That's about the extent of it.
0: Oh, well, keep trying.
1: I will keep trying. I got him to (laughs) bar and yoga. Those were my two big wins.
0: So I just did a bar class for the first time last week and it was really fun. It was really hard, but I enjoyed it because I think, you know, I grew up just playing soccer and doing like more masculine type sports. Thanks, dad. Um, So I never (laughs) really got into the dance and I felt like a ballerina at times. So that was really fun.
1: Yeah, it is. It's kind of a fun scene. I love the diversity in the fitness industry today. I love that you don't know what kind of yoga you're going to practice when you walk into a given studio. There's so many different types of yoga. There's no way to get bored with wellness practices these days. And I just, I really love that.
0: I do too. I do too. But I do want to go back. I want to circle back really quickly. Um, You know, I think it's really... It's it's an amazing field that you're in and I think that it is growing but it's not really that well known yet. How did you start to find this research on this type of stuff? Like who inspired you? Where did you where did you first start to see it? How did it get to you? That's what I'm really curious about. Well, you needed it. how did how did it get to you? It
1: was a combination of I was really interested in working with um, I was interested in fitness and I was interested in working with military personnel and veterans who had been physically wounded. So I was, I was working in the adaptive, the adaptive community, adaptive fitness, adaptive, you know, amputees running with prosthetics and that sort of thing. And the adaptive yoga community is big. Um, Mm -hmm. Learning to do yoga with traumatic brain injury is possible. Learning to do yoga with no legs is possible. So I started meeting a lot of these really interesting yoga teachers and, I was interested in it as a fitness modality for fellow veterans who had physical wounds, but I learned that there was a lot more to it than that. And there was benefit for what we call the invisible wounds, the invisible injuries, whether it's depression or stress injury or just kind of unresolved and you know, overly intense practices, there was a, a lot of utility uh, in that space for me. Now, I believe when somebody tells you they're a yoga teacher, because I eventually became a yoga teacher, you need to look at them and go, uh-huh, okay, that tells me some things about you. Because mm-hmm. only overly intense, really wound up people fall madly passionately in love with yoga enough to want to teach it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first couple times I got on the mat, it was hard to stay there right? Because my mind moved at a million miles a minute. Eventually I fell in love because it was the first thing that ever helped me to slow down and get present. And uh, Mm. now I want to teach that to other people.
0: I love that. Yeah, that does make sense. Now that I think back to some of my most favorite yoga teachers. They're all
1: crazy. (laughs) Yoga teachers are crazy. It's a rule. It's a general rule.
0: So are you teaching yoga now?
1: I teach um, so I teach at Charleston Southern University. I'm a public health professor now. And I teach classes on campus. I, I weave yoga into the academic classes that I teach. Some of my students mm-hmm. love it. Some of them hate it. It's always funny to see what's what and who's who. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll always teach yoga. I'm not teaching at a studio right now, though.
0: Oh, OK. Well, that'd be fun. I would definitely go to one of your classes because I feel like I would learn something about the brain while I was going into uh, warrior two. <laughs> I mm-hmm.
1: probably do talk too much when I teach. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, some people love that and like learning all those weird things and some people don't. So you'd be one of the love it.
0: <laughs> so I'm curious. I mean, you have such a great knowledge base on this stuff. You know, it's not that well known. Have, do you get a lot of requests to do like speaking gigs and, and to go to corporations and help their, their salesmen or their top performers get even better? I mean, is that the next step for you?
1: That's a huge focus of my work. Um, So for a long time, I was speaking primarily at uh, military units uh, with veteran service organizations, but more and more I've been hearing from companies like Deloitte and Boeing and even the Red Cross, and they want me to come in and talk about performance enhancement. How How do you take a pretty good life and hone it and and make it better. Mm -hmm. And all of these practices that have been useful in recovery settings in at-risk populations are very, very useful when you talk about peak performance and elite performance. So I've been doing a lot of that and really, really enjoying it. What's interesting about a lot of elite professionals is that, man, do they need this stuff? And mm-hmm. when you, when you conv- they need the science because once you tell them this is going to make you better at your job, this is going to make you smarter, this is going to make you faster. All of the nice to haves is those are also going to come, but mostly this is going to enhance your performance. And all of a sudden you have this willing population, willing to try things that they poo-pooed at the right. start of your talk. So right. I really love working with corporate clients.
0: Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to get better? I mean, especially with as, you know, as we get more and more connected and as the technology and big data gets more and more intertwined, I mean, to be able to perform and to see patterns and to see, you know, come and just be creative. Like machine learning is, is kind of taking over and it's fascinating to me. But to be able to, you know, come from a place of creativity, um, mindfulness, I know, is huge with that. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I have felt that. So I know to be to be true. So I guess now this is the point in the interview where I ask my guests the same question, and I ask everyone this question, and it could be based on, you know, kind of what we've talked about, or it could just be based on, you know, life and something that you've learned in life. So the question is, what is something that you've learned in your life that you wish someone would have told you earlier?
1: Well, if I could go back 10 or 15 years and talk to myself, I would tell myself that there were many, many ways to be strong, that strong wasn't only one particular archetype. And I would tell myself that slow can be fast and steady can be powerful. And I would, uh, I would encourage myself to learn a few things about mental fitness training and how to really bulletproof my own psyche because, you know, there was a lot ahead.
0: Hmm. Well, I think that's awesome. You're doing it now and you're, you're spreading the word and you know, you've know you impacted my life and you've made me a better person and I'm so thankful. And I know in my heart that you have helped so many people through your own struggles and your own journey and your research and writing. And uh, so just thank you and keep shining your light because the world needs it.
1: That's beyond kind of you to say.
0: <laughs> All right. So how can people uh, find you?
1: Well, the best way to find me is uh, drkatethomas.com. That's my professional website. uh, And I respond to messages pretty quickly. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. (laughs) But if you're interested in just the book, the book has its own website. It's bulletproofingthepsyche.com. And you can watch the trailer and learn more about that project there.
0: Awesome. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are, especially with a three and a half year old um, and <laughs> kind a of full-time job and your other job. Um, so thank you. And um, yeah, I'll definitely look the book. The book and everything else will be on the show notes, of course. And uh, thank you, Dr. Kate Thomas.
1: Have a wonderful day. Appreciate your time.